Welcome to Pursuing Justice. I am Harriet Hendel. For the next two podcasts, we will be talking about another case of wrongful conviction, a case where the Innocence Project of Florida became involved, and in January of 2019, Dean McKee, who had spent 30 years behind bars, was a free man. On our last two podcasts, we met Seth Miller, the executive director of the Innocence Project of Florida. He laid the groundwork for this case in legal terms, and today we are very, very pleased and honored to have Dean McKee with us to talk about life beyond prison. We also have his fiancee, Dani Cutler, to share her unique perspective. Welcome, welcome to you both. Well, thank you for having us. Well, you are so welcome. So let's do a quick recap for our listeners. I would um, encourage our listeners to go back and listen to both podcasts that Seth Miller has done to give you some groundwork and some uh, an overview of Dean's case. So let's do that quickly. In June of 1988, you were sentenced to life in prison. You yes, were ma'am. then 17 years old. Your sentence carried a minimum mandatory sentence of 25 years. In January of 2011, Um, I think that's the right date. Uh, The Innocence Project of Florida stepped in, and in January of 2018, you were released on bond after nearly 30 years uh, after being convicted of a crime for which you were innocent. At the age of 46, your life on the outside began. I am certain our listeners want to know what it took to survive decades in prison how sure were you, Dean, that one day you would be free? What would you say to that? Well, some days uh, you didn't think you were going to make it. Because basically every day you're told that you're going to die there. And um, <clears throat> well, you got to keep moving. You got to keep, uh, you know, use your mind and try to find, you know, the little things that, that matter. Like, um, you know, I have a little bag of peanuts and sit outside and feed little squirrels. <laughs> right? and when you, when you say the little things, uh, that maybe helped you survive, what, what other things like what you just illustrated, what other things helped you make it through each day? Well, Actually, reading, reading, uh, mm. reading really broadened my mind. Um, you know, I've read classics, I've read psychology, I've read you know history books, and what other men have gone through. Uh, I mean, Papillon was a very powerful book. I know they got a movie which I watched with Danny, mm-hmm. um, but I think in that very negative environment that's like reinforced systematically through the system it's not just florida but every penal system that they have it's 
it's reinforced to try to beat you down and break you um, in ways you got to be stubborn, but you have to find ways in your life, like art for me, um, even though they would rip up my art books or break my pencils or take my pencil sharpener that I bought for a couple ramen soups from somebody. Um, you got to persevere. You got to dig deep. Um, a lot of people don't make it. A lot of people were sentenced to like five years and they couldn't handle it. And they'll sharpen a spoon and cut their wrists open. Yeah. Um, you see a lot of brutality, but you find ways. You find ways to stay in touch with your humanity. Yeah, well, that's a be beautiful way to put it, to stay in touch with your huma humanity. Now, in, in terms of reading, what what sparked your interest in digging into books? Well, my, my uncle actually, uh, before I went to prison, he, he, he gave me a book for Christmas, which I didn't like. I, I got a stinking book for Christmas, mm -hmm. but it was uh, Treasure Island, and... I got in trouble somehow, so I never read it until I got confined to my bedroom. But I read that book, and I read that book, and the imagery and the imaginative story and all that made me really like reading books. So, hmm. uh, you know, I've read Thucydides, Herodotus, The Iliad is one of my favorite books. Uh, now, well, where? Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I, I, Danny would send me books. Uh, my cousin would send me books. Uh, I would go to the law library where they have the legal section and then they have, you know, novels and stuff like that. Um, I stayed trying to read as much as I could. But it also shows you, it shows you different people at different times. Um, instead of being, I know this probably come up with being ignorant and being an ignorant little kid saying some really stupid stuff uh, kind of like parroting the older kids that I was hanging around and uh, my brother but uh, living around people in very extreme environments and nourishing my mind you know I've, I've read stuff of Martin Luther King and mm -hmm. you hear the speech but you really don't think about actually what he was saying um, about character is the mm -hmm. sole factor of how you would like look at somebody, not judge somebody, but um, I, I've met some wonderful people. Um, but prison has a way of it's so extreme, one one level to the next. Of it either brings out the goodness in you, or it brings out the worst in in people. Mm -hmm. Uh, and you you see that um, by the people that you live around. You eat with people for years. You see the emotions. Their mom died. Uh, you get shook down on Christmas and you're on lockdown because they don't, you know, they're just trying to harass people. And uh, But you see how people deal with certain situations and their character comes out, not just for a couple days or like people here on the streets. Um, you might not interact with people, but only 30 seconds at the store and you can't really judge them in the sense of get a feel for who they are as a person. So when people are 
compressed in a very negative space mm-hmm. for decades, you really see the true character of other people. Um, it's very true. And very one true. person, um, a black juvenile, his name's Antonio Dossi. Um, he was my neighbor, um, my bunkie, uh, for mm-hmm. years and years. And mm. tomorrow we're going to drive to Tallahassee from, from Largo. And I'm going to speak up for him to see if he can get parole. Oh, he's still in prison. Yeah. Oh, and uh, hmm. so we're going to pick his mom up, which is a beautiful lady, um, and take her up there and, and see what we can do. That's and, terrific. That's yeah. wonderful. Uh, I, you've really, uh, really given us a, a, a small window, and indeed it is small because I think no one can ever, ever know what it's like to be in prison unless you have experienced it for yourself. But you, you certainly um, can give us your own perspective. Um, the, the, it's fascinating to me that books um, saved you in a sense and really became an escape, I would think, right? Uh, right. To read. Um, I, I think I've sent 200 books to people that I'm in touch with who are in prison and I know what books mean to them. And often it's the only thing I can send because some prisons won't even accept packages anymore, but books are great gifts, absolutely great gifts. So that, that is, um, that's a really great window into what it was that, um, helped you survive all the time that you were there. Uh, what what would you say is the greatest difference between your life today and your life inside? Um, I would say maybe, I'm not exactly sure what you're trying to ask, but I get to act like a, a human being. Okay. That's... Um, I'm free. I don't take it for granted. Right, and, right. Uh, but and I, I, w- I would think your your ability to make your own choices, to do what you want to do and not be told what you have to do, the, the, the tight scheduling in prison, right. uh, the counts, uh, the lockdowns, all of that, uh, right. that is so restrictive. So that that's in essence, I guess, what what I was asking. What are you doing right now that gives you a sense of purpose? Oh well, um, the tattoo shop, of course. Um, that was a dream born out in there, and, and conceived, and you know, I had a hope against hope, I guess, you know, with, with the court system and the parole system, of course, too, but uh, that kept me balanced in a sense that I could have this if I only get the chance. And I was given the chance and it's here. I have the key <laughs> to open my own tattoo shop when I go to work now. I have a garden. I have this beautiful lady with me. We've planted trees, uh, peach trees, lemon trees, myrtles, uh, built a pond. I chose to do that. 
And if I open the refrigerator and I want some orange juice instead of milk, because they took milk from us too. So that was the first thing um, that I bought. Well, I had a little money on the dairy, so yeah. I bought a, a gallon of milk. <laughs> and, uh, but the, I, I do think that most people that have never experienced incarceration, whether they were wrongfully convicted or they actually did it, it's the same thing. Yeah. Uh, people out here that are, are never exposed to the, the legal system, I think they always believe that their freedom is always going to be intact. You're going to have mm -hmm. people that do the right thing um, when nobody's looking. They're not trying to look uh, good politically or, you know, it, it can be taken from you. It could be taken from Danny or some right. of your colleagues. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how young you are, if you're white or black. And the system, it's it could disappear in a blink of the eye. And yeah. you hear that sound when that cell door slams. And you will never, ever forget that sound. No, sure not. Yeah. Very true. I wanted you to go back because you sounded so excited about your tattoo shop. And I want you to tell us, how did you learn about tattoos and um, how come you decided to open your own shop? Well, uh, in prison, you're, you're not allowed to tattoo. It's a, it's a, you can get a DR for it. It's a disciplinary report and go to confinement right. uh, so the way I was drawing and, and sketching and, and um, you know pursuing my studies in art and, and like focusing my, my mind on books I could get or go to the library and look at Rembrandt and Rubens and people like that and Da Vinci and uh the tattoo guy actually called me up to a cell one night after he seen a bunch of my artwork and said, we're going to teach you how to tattoo. Um, so I took care of myself, you know, hygiene, coffee, stuff, soups, uh, through tattooing, which is basically illegal in prison. And, um, so that's what I did for a very long time. And I was very good at it. And, I always wanted to open my own tattoo shop and freely um, express myself because in there you have basically no purpose. So I've tattooed people's uh, deceased uh, relatives, their mom, their, their, their aunt that raised them and did their portraits on them. And, and in the visiting part, they would come up to me after they showed the, their loved ones what I did and that made me feel good that I was doing something actually productive with my so-called life uh, while serving a life sentence. Mm -hmm. so. Now how, you say it's illegal in prison to tattoo. How did you learn um, the, the correct way to tattoo once you were out here and had your own shop? It well, must so, be very different, right? Um, in some respects, yeah, but you you learn uh, basic uh, like hygiene practices. I'm very very clean in there and out here. 
Um, you try to perfect the craft. Um, back then, you could get tattoo magazines, so they explained some stuff, and then they started taking them, and you couldn't get anything that had uh, a picture of a tattoo in it, um, stuff like that. So um, I like rotaries because that's basically what we uh, had in there from your electric shavers, or not electric, but battery-operated uh, razors. Mm -hmm. um, the motor is similar to a rotary out here, so the techniques are basically the same. So it, it wasn't a like a huge technological jump. Oh, so uh, it went pretty good. That's terrific. And and when people come into your shop, um, are they asking for tattoos that you? have no problem uh, doing for them or you feel you're pretty knowledgeable about all of that? Oh yes. <laughs> I do I do every style uh, for whatever reason the last couple months I've been doing a lot of underwater imagery um, stuff like that so um, but I do Japanese I do you know, we did some palm trees with uh, the, the water rolling. Um, we did the traditional roses on a 87-year-old Hindu lady. That was her first tattoo. <laughs> and um, we did what? Oh, we did uh, like the adoptions, the universal uh, symbol for adoption uh -huh. on, th on three brothers that were adopted of every race. Oh. They came in. Uh, so it, it, it varies, uh, yeah. you know, uh, so I'm not restricted in a sense that I can't do that. I mean, I'm going to do the best job I can if I think I can't handle something. Um, I might send them to some other shop that might be capable of doing that, but I want to do the best absolute job that I can for a client. Sure, sure. And then the word will go out uh, and you'll, I'm sure... Word of mouth will bring you many, many clients. Um, do you do you have to advertise? Do you advertise to uh, yeah. get people? Yeah, you do. Yeah, we do the the what is it, the Facebook? Oh, okay. Social media. Uh, Google the Instagram. Uh, what's the other thing we do? Well, we're doing the Google. Ad, the Google ad. I, I guess Google's a big one, and we're meeting with some. Um, people through the county that help um, small businesses learn how to market and, and develop their business goals and everything so that's wonderful that's great yeah i bet you are especially since it was a, a dream that this is what you wanted to do dean and, and you've managed to do it and that that's rare i think uh, so many people coming out of prison especially having been there as long as you were, uh, it, the adjustment to um, life out here is is overwhelming, uh, to say nothing about starting your own business. And I think just getting your feet down and figuring out where you are day to day is difficult enough, but you managed to open up your your own business. When, when uh, did you open the shop officially? Uh, we've been open for... What was it October 1st, I think? I got the establishment license uh, through the city of Largo. Uh -huh. 
Mm-hmm. They put some some like repeated hurdles in front of us, but um, we finally met all their requirements that they that they wanted. Um, but the official um, grand opening is January 11th. Uh, the Innocence Project is coming down. Oh, great! That's exciting. And, uh, mm-hmm. They're going to cater and all that, and also. Um, I think it was October. So Fox 13 News came and interviewed us. Oh, that that helps also. I think to have uh, the news cover your your story. What a great uh, a great story that is. So what would, we we have um, a few minutes left of of this podcast, and then we're going to have you come back for the next one. Um, what are your greatest challenges uh, today uh, in in your life? What would you say they are? <laughs> technology, technology, and uh, driving. And technology, I know. <laughs> what was the last one? Driving. Driving. All right. Do you well, have a, I, well, I a license? I for 30 years. I, I didn't drive as a kid. I, I had to actually get my learner's permit for six months and drive with a, an 18-year-old licensed driver. Um, so that went over well with the uh, what would you call them the driver's license lady <laughs> the, the motor vehicle people so do you have a a, a license um, right now yes. yes ma'am you do oh great and, and I drive with my hands at 10 and 2 <laughs> 10 and 2 <laughs> great uh, so the technology you, you say um how that is a great, great challenge, uh, specifically what? Cell phones, things like well, that? The, the cell phone, and well, I call the phone the computer because basically to me that's what it is. But It is, yeah. Um, it, it's very frustrating in the sense that I want to know how to do it and you can do the same thing repeatedly and, and it'll do something different. Um, I guess because of updates or something. Oh, who knows, right? So it, it's it's a little bit of you know frustration of. You know, I came from uh, boom boxes and Walkmans and cassette tapes to. That's right. Uh, you talk to the Siri lady or the Alexa. That's her name. Yeah, tell her what you want, right? right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it is a learning curve, and the longer you are out, um, the more familiar you will. Be with uh, all the technology out here, and it moves so quickly and changes so fast. Um, but uh, you know, in time, I'm sure you will you will learn. Well, one of the things that we want to talk about in the next podcast and uh, have Danny come in is the importance of support while you were in prison. So um, I want you to think about that, both of you, because I think we'll uh, we'll begin with family support uh, on our next podcast. So please stay with us, our listeners, and and Dean and Danny, you stay with us as well. Um, I thank you, my listeners, for joining us today on Pursuing Justice. For the last um, several programs, we've been talking about Dean McKee's case, and uh, we have enjoyed having the executive director of the Innocence Project of Florida on with us, and now, of course, uh, Dean and Danny. So please, um, your thoughts and your comments, I would love to hear from my listeners at pursuing.justice5 at gmail.com.
www.thepowerofpositivity.com. And I want to thank you both for being here today and stay with us. We will be talking to you more about the perspective of someone like Dani who is outside of the prison system and get her thoughts on uh, what that was like. So thank you so much for your time today and we will see you next time on Pursuing Justice. Thank you for having us. You're welcome.